Uh, but today yep. is about marriage and building yep. um, strong marriages. And we kind of wanted to start today by sharing a little bit of our marriage story. A lot of you guys know our story, but there's also a lot of new people coming to the church that may not know um, us very well. And we want to kind of talk about it. Yeah, I think we may have a photo of our family. So this is our family, Aiden. Uh, is 17, and then Aslan is nine, Asher 13, and Avery 19, and... I'm 39. Yeah. I can't even remember. I think I'm 43, but I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> 42 or 43. <laughs> Gotta do the math. I don't, I don't remember either. Um, so our story is very... Um, it's a little different than what you might expect. So uh, Dustin was 27 when we met, and I was 31, and um, the... The interesting part of the story is that I was a single mom of three kids when we got married. And so, yes, that's what Dustin married right there. Yeah. Avery, Aiden, and Asher, they're cute, huh? I remember looking at this picture on Facebook when you first posted it, because she had these photos done while we were dating. I remember looking at this picture thinking, these are gonna be my kids. It, it, it's just, it's just a, such a crazy beginning to, to all of this, for yes, sure. Yes, absolutely. So um, I went to Bible college um, straight out of high school. was there four years. Um, met a guy there. We were both called to ministry. We were both um, in worship ministry. We were on staff at a church for a lot of years in Mobile, Alabama. Had the three children together. Um, uh, got married. I mean, I was pretty young when we got married. And uh, through just a lot of... Um, bad decisions um, and infidelity on his part, um, continual over and over, and a lot of counseling and a lot of years of trying to fight for a marriage. Um, it just became very clear, like, this is not even a healthy thing for me to stay in, and it was the most heartbreaking uh, devastation, and it's so weird because I look at myself now, and I, I try to put myself back into that broken state. It's hard to even remember how bad it was because I feel like a different person than I was then, but God is so good and gracious mm -hmm. um, to restore things that look like just ruins, just a complete mess. And um, so he walked away from his family and um, decided not to be dad or husband anymore. And so I had just a group of people around me or three men in particular that I went to um, just for advice because I just felt like it was such a big decision on what do I do? This is so much for me. And I think that's a great thing to do. You don't ever make big decisions without wise counsel in your life. And so the wise counsel in my life at that time was my dad, his dad, my ex-husband's dad, and um, my pastor. And all three were very level-headed, um, godly people. And so um, it came to a certain point where I knew like this is probably not gonna be something that I can continue in. And so I called them all and they all emphatically said, you need to be done fighting. Um, this is just not good for you anymore. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy for the kids. It's actually dangerous for you to keep fighting in this marriage. And so I had to let go of something that I've been fighting for for a long, long time. And so I was very, very exhausted. And if, you have, if you're a single parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's an exhausting place to be tired, I was working two jobs, I was teaching preschool and then working at our church there, had the three kids. My parents lived about 10 hours away and my mom, I mean, I just get emotional thinking about how many times my mom drove down. Did not expect that. 
My mom drove down, helped me with the kids, bought clothes, grocery. You know, she was just there and just incredible support system. But she called me one day and she said, Mandy, spring break is coming and I think you need a spring break. Why don't you fly to Albuquerque, spend some time with Kara, your sister. My sister lived here, was on staff at this church. She's the one that just sang your nature. Isn't she amazing? Yes. She literally is my fave of all time. And uh, so she's like, come stay with me. And she didn't have any kids yet. So I just went and crashed at her house for a week and just literally slept a lot while she was at work. And so the funny thing is that we landed in Albuquerque, or I landed in Albuquerque, and she picked me up and she said, hey, before we do anything else or go to dinner, my pastors really wanna meet you and they're going out of town tomorrow. And I mean, my pastor's wife, she is not gonna be happy if I don't bring you over. Like she really wants to meet you. And so I was like, let's do it, let's go. And I didn't know I was going to my future in-law's house. <laughs> like it's the craziest story. So I go into their house, their kitchen, and we're just casually talking. And Dustin did not live there at the time. Uh, he was 27 years old. He lived with roommates in a house. Um, wherever, I don't even know. And uh, he comes in, and the funny thing is, his girlfriend was in the car. <laughs> I was dropping something off at my parents' I house. I didn't know that, and, but anyway, <laughs> he walks into the kitchen, and it was just like, hey, you know, they said, hey, have you ever met Manny? Hey, how are you doing? Whatever, nothing, you know, walked out. And I really, it was just funny because I left, and I remember very vividly walking down their sidewalk outside their house, the car, and thinking, huh, there was something about that. It wasn't like I have a crush. Like that was the last thing was on my mind, honestly, to marry again. Like I was literally. No, she had an instant crush. Let me tell you. <laughs> it was just a little crush. <laughs> honestly, I didn't, but I did think like. <laughs> not because of you, because I literally was drowning in my life. Like. Two jobs, three kids, ministry. That's I did funny. not have this in my head of like even wanting anything else right at the moment. And, um, and, but I really felt like there was something about that. Like just, I don't know. Like, and um, so I spent the week there and then I don't even know if I saw you again, was at the airport leaving and he sends me a message on Facebook, people. And, uh, and I don't know that he meant to make it a pastor pickup line, but <laughs> it was. Because he was like, hey, if you ever need anything. I think he genuinely felt so sorry for me. Like, literally, it was, kind of, it was a bad situation, honestly. I think he just felt bad. If He's your like, youth ministry at your church needs help, that's what he said. I can, you know. If your youth ministry needs help. And I was, she like, was like, okay. My youth, okay. It worked, because here we are. Here we <laughs> but we became really good friends, and he was like really a great um, just a great friend to me. And then obviously it grew into something more. But in 2015, he adopted my three older kids. So we've been married yeah. for 11 and a half yeah. years. And then uh, he adopted Avery, Aiden, and Asher. And um, it's been great. But that's, that, this is our story. This is who we are. Um, but we believe that God has, he can take any, any situation yeah. that looks like the most broken, hopeless mess, and he can turn it into something beautiful and for his glory. So I don't care what situation you're in right now, you don't have to stay stuck in this mess that you're in. You can look up and say, God, heal me, heal my situation, and he has a future and a plan for you so you can be encouraged today. Yeah. Be encouraged. There's also, we were talking, there's also a stigma a lot 
when you're, when you're preaching on marriage, people come into church looking around and everybody thinks everybody else is a cookie cutter, perfect yeah. um, demonstration of marriage. And we wanted to share our story to be, because there's no perfect cookie cutter of anything that exists. Because the uh, way God works in families and people's lives, when you look around this room, everyone has a story of somewhere where there's brokenness, where God brought healing uh, back to it. So everybody has a story. <clears throat> Got it. Okay, so... Uh, today, talking about marriage, I want to ask this. This is the question that we were asking, writing this message, and we were asking each other, what do we believe about marriage? Not just our marriage. What do we believe about marriage? What does the Bible actually say about marriage? So I want to ask you that. In your mind, just think, what, what does marriage mean to you? What do you believe about it? Because there's so many things going on right now in society that where definitions of marriage and opinions about it, it's not a necessity anymore. Marriage can look like this. It can look like that. It, we've devalued marriage so much in society. I think it's important for us to understand that the Word of God talks so much about it. I, have some, I had someone ask me the other day if I believed that godly biblical marriage, if I believed biblical marriage was under attack in our society, and I believe wholeheartedly, absolutely yes, yeah. um, marriage is under attack. I don't think we need to act like victims because of it, but I do believe marriage is under attack. Why? Because it is the main metaphor in Scripture that God uses to show the, his relationship with us. Um, I mean, it talks about how husbands are supposed to love their wives and lay down their lives like Christ loved the church. It's a metaphor. So our marriages are supposed to be a mm -hmm. picture of what a relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, looks like. So of course, Satan is going to come after marriage like there's no tomorrow devaluing it, breaking it apart, redefining it, every single way that Satan can taint what God ordained, he's going to try to do it. And so we look in society, I think there's two main ways that Satan is using this, it's through devaluing marriage, people viewing it as something that I don't even need to do. Again, I wanna be careful here. There are a lot of people that are called to singleness, and you don't need a person to complete you. Yeah. You don't need a person to make you happy. You are completely whole on your own with God, period, at the end of this sentence. But at the same time, marriage rates are dropping so drastically, I think it's alarming because there are people that I believe God is calling to marriage that aren't getting married because... Society has devalued it. Society is redefining it. But also, the other thing is, there's such a concentration on self that there's this self-discovery thing going on in society that is such a major part of everything we listen to, everything we watch, every professor, every, almost every teacher. It is being drilled in our minds to th these kinds of statements. You be you. Just be yourself. Follow your heart. And on the surface... That doesn't sound like bad advice, but one layer deeper, it's the worst advice you could ever give someone because there's only one place you can actually find yourself and it's through the creator who created yourself. Mm -hmm. That's it. Amen. There is no inner discovery of me. There's only the discovery of who God has called me to be who he has chosen me to be, what he's called me to do. And if we think there's this inner discovery of inside of me, I can find myself, what you're going to find is brokenness because that's who we are outside of God. And that's what's happening in our world. Follow your heart. The Bible says that's the most dangerous thing above all things. And we tell people to do it. I said, don't follow your heart. That's gonna be a very bad end of that road. 
Follow God's word, follow his heart for your life. You guys agree with that? I wanna point this out too before we get really practical today. The Bible talks about marriage a lot. 140, 104 explicit times in the Bible, um, the Bible mentions marriage or describes marriage 104 times and every single time it's between a man and a woman. I, I, I say that today and I know I could kind of go on a, on a rabbit trail here and preach a whole different sermon, but I, I wanna lay the groundwork here because in, in today's uh, society, I, we just have to now, that the Bible explicitly, God's design for marriage is between a man and a woman. From Genesis to Revelation, it doesn't mean we ostracize people. It doesn't mean we stop being loving. It doesn't mean we stop showing Christ to the world. But what I wanna be very firm on today is this. We do not, because of culture or society or because of sexual attraction, lower the standard of what God has set for marriage in our lives and in our world. God has set a high standard and it's our job to follow it. It's our job to follow it. I wanna show a screen. Mandy and I were working on this um, real quick of what society would look like, um, social issues, society, societal issues that would disappear or drastically decline if we approached marriage and sex God's way. If, we, if all of society, I want you to think about this, how much right now the world mocks God's way, mocks it, everything about God's way. But if in one minute the world just said, we're just gonna jump in, just go all in on God's way. Mm-hmm. All in. All of these would disappear or drastically decline. There would be no such thing as pornography. Uh, suicide rates would drop by 85%. Abortion would be non-existent. There would be no need for foster care system. Sexual identity confusion would disappear. There would be no such thing as teen pregnancy, cheating, divorce, domestic violence, rape, prostitution, human trafficking. We're trying right now, Christians and non-Christians, trying to end human trafficking. But all along, if people just did marriage and sex God's way, there would be no such thing. Sexual abuse, sexual trauma, world hunger would drastically decline because homes wouldn't be broken and having, there would be two income homes all over the world. Um, world hunger would drop, poverty, drug use, uh, because of what causes drug use and all of these different things. Issues of self-worth, body image issues, economic issues, school dropout rates would almost disappear. The welfare system, it would be, there'd be no need for it. And there would be no such thing as single parent households because somewhere along the way, something was broken that created it mm-hmm. and there would be no need, or there would be no such thing. And this is what honestly frustrates me so bad when I see people mocking what God set up, calling it narrow-minded. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. We're focusing on the wrong thing. The reason that God set it up is so we could have a world that looks very different than we have now. But we mock God, we mock his ways, and we have to lay in the bed we make. And that's what's happening in the world right now. But I think we, as believers, could make a shift in our mind and say, we're going all in on God's way. Do you guys agree with that? Going all in on God's way. We also know today that there's a wide spectrum of of different uh, backgrounds and people in here today when it comes to marriage. There are single parents. Mandy mentioned a second ago, she was a single mom. Um, Single parents, moms and dads, you guys are heroes with what you're doing. Thank you for being here, bringing your kids to church. Um, We wanna help you and support you, amazing, all the way to people who've been married for a long time, and I don't know what the longest was in this service, but the last service was 67 years, people, a a couple that was married, and I mean, they were Chiefs fans, and I just prophesied that the Chiefs would win because of that, but I, (laughs) 
But I, I, there's so many different kinds of people, people that aren't married yet, engaged, divorced. And so here's what I, here's what I want us to concentrate on. In, in a sermon like this, sometimes, we can feel kind of ostracized unless we have the right mindset. We're talking about marriage and what healthy, strong marriages look like today. But it's important, no matter where we are, to know the standard that the Word of God has set. And I wrote this statement for us to understand with any topic, but especially this one. As hearers of the Word, I cannot expect the truth to be avoided at the expense of my reality. So I want us to fight the, the um, temptation today to think, man, why are they only focusing on marriage? I'm a single parent. We will get to that, but today we have to lay the groundwork for what God's intention for marriage needs to look like. Are you guys with us on that? Awesome. Yeah, don't you think it's important for us to even whatever state we're in yes. to set an example and tell our children, this, this is, is the right way. This, this is, is the right way. This is the bullseye. This is the goal of what we're striving for. So we're gonna talk about building strong marriages and we build strong marriages by, first point is this, inspecting our expectations. Inspecting our expectations. We all have expectations before going into marriage and within marriage. There are things that we just expect, right? But we need to take a look and inspect our expectations. A few, maybe a couple years ago, I was at my in-laws house and we were in Dustin's old room, like going through old books and stuff. I don't remember, but yeah. there was a Bible from when you were a teenager. I think yeah. you're like 15 or 16 years old. And in this Bible, a little note fell out of what Dustin wrote out for his expectations for a wife. Do y'all want to look at this together? It's great. So good. It says, dear God, for a wife, I would like a woman with the same desires I have for the ministry. I would like a woman who will be a good mother as well as a good wife to me. I would like someone with nice dark skin, blue eyes, about five, seven, thin, and with a beautiful smile and voice. Thank you for everything. Love, Dustin. It's so embarrassing. So good. I think whether you write out your expectations or not, they're there, right? You've got some expectations. This is what I want. I'm so sorry that I fall short of a lot of those. There's grace for you. There's Literally. Grace for, you. For, my, for my 15 year old expectations. I will never be 5'7". I'm so sorry. <laughs> and my eyes are not blue and there's a lot of things. We all have expectations. There's things that we're like, Maybe unspoken, but we need to inspect our expectations. And a lot of times we have unrealistic expectations. One of them would be, I expect my spouse to bring me happiness. They are my source of happiness. Well, that's not realistic, is it? I mean, one human being cannot be the source of your happiness. And we put so much pressure on the other person. Like, you need to bring me happiness and depending on their mood or what's going on in their life, it affects us so much. Mm -hmm. And we take that on, we're putting all this pressure on our spouse. You bring me happiness, but how many know that happiness True happiness and satisfaction and wholeness can only come from one person, and that's Jesus. Yeah. Jesus brings you satisfaction, complete satisfaction, a person you cannot put that God kind of pressure on your spouse. I think it's this is not healthy. From what we were talking about with society, society is screaming at us, you deserve to be the center, yep. and you deserve to be the happiest. Everyone exists to make you happy. That's what society says. And we're like, that sounds great. Yeah. But it's awful. 
It's awful because that means everywhere we go, we're the gravitational pull toward mm-hmm. us rather than having the selfless posture of I'm going to contribute to others' happiness and I'm not going to depend on one person to be the source, like what Mandy's saying, to yeah. make me happy. It's exhausting. It's unfair to spouses and it, and it can't be there. Yeah. We contribute to happiness, but we're not the source of. Yeah, it's unrealistic, completely unrealistic. Another one will be that your spouse will anticipate what you want and all of your needs. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and I think women, we're notorious for that. We think, if you really knew me, if you were really paying attention, you would know what I want for dinner. If you, <laughs> you would be able to guess what's in my head right now if you really were paying attention to me and you're really attentive. And I think it's such an unrealistic thing for us to to think that they're gonna anticipate everything that you want or desire at any time. Another unrealistic one would be that you're gonna handle conflict the same way. Never gonna happen. You are two individuals that are completely, the way you handle conflict could be so different. I would probably be more of like a person who would uh, think I was doing the godly thing, but I'll just not talk about it. I'll just keep that quiet. No use stirring things up. You know, I'm gonna push this down, not talk about it. Dustin would be more on the other end of the spectrum, which everything is going to get a head-on confrontation. Every issue, every problem. (laughs) He used to be worse. I feel like we're kind of pulling each other to the middle, like hopefully in Jesus' name. I feel like we are. But it really is. Well-rounded. Yes, we are both so (laughs) (laughs) well-rounded. But it's unrealistic expectations, feeling like you're going to handle things the exact same way. It's just Mm -hmm. not going to happen. Like parenting, um, you know, all kinds of things. It's just we, we're not going to, and I love, I love that. So here's three quick ways to deal with unmet expectations. Ready? First one is this. Love and forgive your spouse. Sounds so self-explanatory, right? So easy. Love and forgive your spouse. The reason why I put those on the same line is really those are pretty synonymous. Um, loving means forgiving. Right, I heard someone say one time, marriage is, is, one, is, is just one big repeat, repeated process of forgiving each other. That, that's all it is. Because it's two imperfect human beings coming in together, and then it's every single day we're human, and every single day we are loving and forgiving. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The reason why we can keep forgiving and forgiving and forgiving, we don't want to become doormats, but forgiving is working through things as we forgive, right? The reason why we can keep forgiving, um, even unthinkable things sometimes, is because Christ forgave the unthinkable in us. Um, And so marriages are always worth fighting for, for sure. Another one is communicate with the intent of understanding your spouse. When it comes to communication, whether it's a moment of conflict or not, communicate, first of all, with the intention of understanding. Um, Most people have the intention of getting that person to understand me, Mm -hmm. right? I wanna either win this argument or I'm gonna spend five minutes building my case for why they're wrong and why they need to see it my way. Instead of spending the first five minutes trying to legitimately understand why a very logical person that you chose to marry sitting across the table from you sees this very differently than you. Try to understand, empathize, why are they seeing this this way? Philippians 2, 4 through 5, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Have interest in their perspective. And then the last one on this, how we deal with unmet expectations, is change your perspective. 
Change your perspective. You will never be able to meet all of your spouse's needs like we were just talking about. You're never gonna be able to be the complete source of happiness for them. Um, but, but some needs can only be met by God alone. That's what we have to understand. Change our perspective. So sometimes we get in this position, of, I have to meet all their needs, I feel this pressure, or they have to meet all of mine. I think we need to establish in our marriages what needs should God alone be fulfilling? Mm-hmm. What needs? Because if we're making a human play God, that's never gonna end well. So true. The next thing in building strong marriages, we build strong marriages by weighing what we're carrying. We all are carrying things into a marriage from our past, from our family of origin. We are all carrying a lot into the marriage. And so we have to weigh this. What are we carrying? Let's look at Matthew 19, four through six. It says this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they no longer are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And I think we read this scripture and it almost seems like an impossibility. Like we're one, we don't feel like one flesh. We don't feel like one. We feel like two very different people. And so it comes down to this. We have to decide to be one. Mm-hmm. We have to fight for unity. We have to fight to become one. And I think that it's an important thing for us to look at, like how in the world are we two separate people deciding, it's about deciding to be one. So we looked at ourselves. Uh, we'll use ourselves as an illustration on this. When we first got engaged, we were each, I think we have a picture of our engagement, one of our engagement photos, just cute little young people right here. So when we first, oh, I know, oh, okay. Um, I look at that shirt, and I'm like, what was I wearing? It was like Easter pictures or my something. Beads. Okay, so what are my I, beads? <laughs> this is our engagement photo. We look, we look back to those two people. We're very two different people now, 11 and a half years later. Looking back at that photo, what were we carrying as two people into the marriage to become one? And if we don't strategically, like what Mandy was saying, analyze what we are carrying into the marriage as two people, we will never effectively become one. Mm -hmm. So let's look at, let's weigh what we carried. Let's look at what we carried into our marriage. Okay, so for me, a pretty big thing was I was carrying three kids. So that's a huge situation here. Like literally. Carrying three kids, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so three children, that's a big deal to bring into a marriage, and if you are um, entering or you're in a blended family, you know what I'm talking about. This is a, this is a big deal. It's mm-hmm. not a curse, it's, it's a blessing, but it is something that you're carrying, something to weigh. And the next thing would be, I was carrying a lack of trust. I wasn't uh, super skeptical, I'm not, that's not really my personality, but I have been very hurt in marriage. Mm-hmm. And so I had, there was a part of me that was just like, but are you for real? I just, I had this little bit of a lack of trust. I wasn't just naive going into this. I was, right. I was very like, I'm gonna analyze everything and your actions. I brought debt into the marriage. Um, from my previous marriage, there was a lot of um, irresponsibility and things that I had to, I was carrying in. Um, so that was a heavy thing that we had to work through. It was a big deal. Um, I also, on a positive note or negative, whichever positive. way, I had life experience that I was bringing into the marriage that Dustin had not experienced yet. I had, I had weathered some storms. I had, um, there were just a lot of things that I had knew how to do. I mean, down to like grocery shopping and like random stuff that he just never had to do like on the level I was. I had been, um, 
a mother for a while. So I was just in a different stage of life. So I had life experience I was bringing wanna, into the I wanna marriage. say something about that. So the life experience thing was very big for me and I, I could not have anticipated how big of a deal because I was 27 years old, single, um, could really at any moment do anything I, I wanted to do. I was a youth pastor. My whole life was like hanging out with teenagers, young adults. I mean, any, I thought at 11 p.m. if I wanted to go to a movie, I'm just like, I'm going to a movie, right? Yeah. And so very much that stage of life. When we got married, her life experience as we became one catapulted me into a different stage of life, even in different friend groups, because now we're not gonna hang out with just single people. We're gonna hang out with single people and married people who have kids. And so all of a sudden I'm finding myself with new friend groups and a new stage of life. I just brought a new maturity. She, she brought a new maturity <laughs> to my life. Good. Just joking. No, it's good. Um, yeah, and then I brought a deep faith in God. And I, I, like I said, I had weathered some storms. And so things that might would shake him up a little in our marriage were like, oh, and he was nervous or stressed. I did have a little bit more of this calm confidence that God's got us. It's gonna be okay just because... I had weathered some storms. I had mm -hmm. been through some crazy times. And so I had a deep faith in God. Self-reliance, this is a big one for me. I, I still, I struggle with this one. I think I can do everything by myself. And he hates it. <laughs> he hates it so bad. I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I don't even think to ask for help. I just can do it by myself. But he, the other day, is like, he gets so mad if I roll the trash can down to the curb on trash day, and I'm not even I'm like, thinking about it. She gets home like an hour before me, and that's supposed to be my job. I don't want, I don't want Mandy wheeling the trash cans down to the street in the cold, and I'll show up and the trash cans are down there, and I'm like. <laughs> he hit a breaking point yesterday. I, I hit a breaking point. I walked in, I was like, Mandy, I don't ever want to come home to the trash cans being on the street. <laughs> I, I'm walking in our house and I, I feel like a wimp. I'm walking in like, thanks babe for taking the trash cans down. I'm like, no, I wanna take the trash cans down to the street. He does. And I gladly let him now. I'm like, <laughs> he told me never touch him again. So <laughs> it can be piling up a bit. <laughs> so self-reliance, uh, more of a passive approach to conflict for sure. Um, like I talked about earlier, like I'm just gonna maybe just wait till it's over. I'm like, you know what? Maybe if I don't talk about it, it'll be over. Maybe if I don't talk about it, it'll go away. So I have more of a passive approach to conflict that I have definitely um, grown yeah. in, but for, for sure, sure that was a big problem in the beginning or something I was just carrying in. So here's mine. So here's what I was carrying into the marriage. So I mentioned a second ago, I was single for a long time. Um, and with that, comes the next one, selfishness, because I wasn't walking around like a, you know, a crazy selfish person necessarily, but when you're single for that long, you can kind of just think about yourself more. And instantly when I was married with three kids, it, the, it, the circumstances demand that you can't, right? And, and so it wasn't even like me deciding, it was just like my new reality of, I literally don't have time to think about myself. You know, it's so, it was a very big adjustment. Uh, the Lone Ranger ministry mentality, I had always just done ministry by myself. I had longed for a, a, a spouse and a ministry partner, but I had never had that. And so working out what two callings look like together as, as youth pastors back then and now senior pastors today, it, we worked through it. I had expensive taste. Had, had. He still does, but he brings it under submission. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I have window shopping expensive tastes, right? <laughs> so I, I had like a collection of Jordans. And yeah, well, but then when Aiden got to be my shoe size when he was like 11, we were like, well, we don't have a lot of money. And he was like, but I, man, he was like, well, all those shoes, they, they fit him. And I'm like. <laughs> Aiden had the coolest 
collection of shoes at Grant Middle School. I'm telling you. He wore like a different pair of Jordans every single day to middle school, and I'm watching them just like falling apart. I'm like, I love you. Okay, here we go. Okay. Excited for the future. Uh, you know, Mandy was, was in a situation where, of course, she's excited for the future, but she was also in a place of like, I, I'm just glad I made it through the last few years kind of thing. And so I was coming into the marriage of like, no, 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 it's not time to pause. Let's go. Let's move, 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 uh, go into the future. And then the, the other one Mandy hit on was I had, I had a head-on approach to conflict. And I do feel like we've evened each other out a lot on this, but every single time there was something that bothered me, I would want to have like a sit-down talk about it. And like finally she was like, Dustin, for, forever, for the whole time we're married, do we have to talk about every single thing? Or are there some things you can just go, I'm gonna, I'll just get over that. And I was like... Good idea, good idea. I will learn to just get over these things sometimes. So this is what we brought in. So even ours, and this is, this is just a fraction of the list. Mm-hmm. What's yours? What are you carrying? Even if, you're, even if you're not even close to being married, you're carrying something now, and you're just building those things that you're carrying, yeah. good or bad. And when you become one, the I love them so much, and they're the one disappears pretty quickly, right? Mm-hmm. Then it's every single day of I love this person, I'm going to decide and prove it through my actions, and we are going to decide to be one because we are two very different people. Yeah, Colossians 3.13 just tells us, make allowance for each other's faults. So that's just the Christian thing to do. Yeah. I mean, whether you're married or not, we look at this and say, well, God has forgiven me, yeah. and he is gracious to me in my faults. So therefore, I'm gonna look at my spouse with the mind of Christ and try to take on the character of Christ and say, okay, if God can overlook so much in my life, yeah, I, can, I can overlook some things in your life and make allowance for you that's and really what good. you're carrying into the marriage. Uh, the next one would be that we build strong marriages by analyzing our actions. Um, some of you today, you're, you're looking at this saying, I don't have a godly role model. My dad and my mom, they were not what you would call a, a role model for me in marriage. I don't know how to behave like a good husband. I don't know how to behave like a good wife. I need someone to help me. I don't know how to behave. Um, But I believe that a wise person will get people around them to speak into their lives and the scripture will teach you how to live and how to behave. You're not on your own. You can know how to behave and you can set a new new way, a new cycle, a new way in your family and it can start and begin with you. Proverbs 14.1 says this, the wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts and her household thrives. But the foolish one who lacks spiritual insight tears it down with her hands by ignoring godly principles. This says a wise woman, but this could go to a wise woman or a wise man. Your behavior should not be something that just triggers the other person. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna see how this gets them. I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna get a reaction out of them. That should never be our mentality with one another. Uh, What can I do to kind of stir the pot or rock the boat? That should never be it. Our behavior should be, how can I bring out the best in the other person? Mm -hmm. What can I do? How do I behave in marriage that's gonna make my person the best version of themselves? How do I encourage them, build them up, and what behaviors do I need to build my house and not tear it down with my own two hands? What do I do to build my house? Here's what we know. Every marriage is far from perfect. 
every marriage. Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as even close to it. But there are such things as very good, godly marriages yeah. that work through conflict daily, that love each other daily, that serve each other daily in the midst of their imperfections. And so what, I'm, what we're about to show you is a list of what we're calling nevers. And some of this list could appear as a little bit impossible to you. But I wanna be very clear. These, what, we're, what we feel like on this list, these aren't impossible. These are, some of them you're gonna be great at, some of them you may, may not be great at, but our, our, our look at this is if you just draw a line in the sand in your mind mm -hmm. and you just say, we will never do what's on this list, never, and just make a decision. It's never going to happen. Your marriage or future marriage will drastically improve for the better in a very short period of time. So here's the, a list of we will nevers in our, in our home. And these are things that we've committed to each other. The first one is name call. We will never, some of these are gonna sound super simple to you, or some of them might be like, huh? Name call. I mean, we said a long time ago, the kids are never, ever, ever going to hear us, or we're just not gonna say it, whether they hear us or not. I'm never gonna call her a name in frustration. I'm never gonna call her stupid. I'm never gonna call her a cuss word. First of all, we don't cuss in the home, but I'm never gonna call her a cuss word. I'm never going to say psycho. I'm never gonna say this. I'm not even gonna say those things to her, about her, to my friends. Nothing like that. We're not going to name call because when we speak names, when we are naming somebody, we're, we're taking the place of what God wants to do in our lives. Only God can name and call people things. Mm -hmm. And if we aren't calling people what God would call them, it, it's, a, it's a bad thing. The next one, we will never leave in anger. Never leave in anger. It doesn't say we will never be angry. It says we will never leave in anger, meaning we're in an argument. I will never, have never, will never say, I, I just can't do this right now. I am leaving. I've got to go on a drive. I'm going to go cool off. We see that normalized in society and movies and TV shows, and it might have been normalized in your life growing up. But what's so bad about that is the new grooves in our brain that we are creating that when there's conflict, we leave. There's conflict, we leave. It might be walking out the door today, mm -hmm. but it might be walking out the marriage door in five years. You don't leave, you stay. You stay and work things out. You have a conversation and that's a very big deal. The next one, we will never threaten divorce. That word will never come up in our home in the context of our marriage. Never, ever ever use the word divorce in any argument or anything in regards to your marriage. The moment you take the unthinkable off the unthinkable shelf and put it on the table, it becomes something that can easily be reached and something that's normalized. Yeah. You keep that divorce on that shelf of the unthinkable and you put it back where it belongs. It's not an option. It's not on the table. A never. We will never hold the past over their head. Never. Mistakes have been made. They are dealt with however it needs to be dealt with. They are forgiven and they are not held over heads. We do not do that. We will never do it. We will never discourage or belittle, similar to name calling. Never discourage. There's a call for all believers to encourage, to bring courage. In, in a world of fear, we don't contribute that uh, in, our, in our marriage to each other. And the last one is physical harm. We will never, ever, bring physical harm, something even close to it, into our home. It doesn't matter if we're playing. It doesn't matter if it's joking. It will never enter our home. Our kids will never see it. Everything we do, we're creating for our kids to do in excess. Everything. 
So if those things have begun, stop them. If it's been visible to your family, if you've thrown out divorce and your kids have heard it, go home today, you bring your family together, and I know this is a tough word, but you repent, and you say, we're creating a new atmosphere today in our home, we will never, and I'm sorry. The strongest you will ever be in your kids' eyes is when you say sorry. I promise you that. So hopefully that helps. Does that help the we will yes. nevers? I know I it's kinda it. heavy, but. I love that there's challenges for nevers, but there's also a strong challenge for some always. Here's some things that we always do. This is in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, we will always, I just lost where I was, I'm so sorry. We will always protect, always trust, always hope, and always persevere. These are the things that we will always do. You're like, oh man, that seems like impossible. I don't think we can always do those things. And maybe, maybe it seems impossible, but this is a beautiful standard for us to reach to. Like, I'm gonna reach for this. I'm gonna always hope. I'm gonna always strive to hope, believe the best. I'm gonna always strive to trust and persevere. No matter what, I'm going to always try to do these things. And it's listed in the word of God as just a challenge for us. And then the last one is this, number four. We build strong marriages by outlasting unexpected storms. The truth is, storms are coming your way, and if you're not in one right now, a storm will come your way in marriage. And the key to success in marriage is learning the art of outlasting the storms. Can you outlast the bad seasons? Can you outlast the storms? Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. I love that. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. This is Jesus talking about what we build our life on and marriage is such a big part of life Um, in our lives and in society, we have to know what the foundation is. Mm -hmm. The foundation is what God says about anything, about life. It's the word of God. It's it's getting with other believers, like Mandy was saying, iron, sharpening iron, getting into the word and understanding what the Bible says about marriage, what it says about love and sex, and and it's building the right foundation. Yeah, you know, when you think about your your marriage, your wedding day, and you're standing on a stage or wherever you got married and you said vows, you were saying I do to just a bunch of hypotheticals, like for better, for worse, richer, for poor. But in reality, we were, we were saying I do to hypotheticals that we thought would never ever reach us, right? Sickness will never come into our home, but I'll say I do to this, all these hypotheticals. But can you today look at your current situation and reality and say, I do to your reality now. Can you look and stay fully committed? Like I'm in this, I'm fully committed, even though there is sickness in our home or there is financial problems or whatever is going on right now, whatever tough season you are in right now in your marriage, can you say I do to your current reality, not just hypotheticals, but right now, the now season that you're in? We, um, we're looking at a lot of unexpected storms that marriages face, things that can derail you in marriage. And there, this is just a list of a few of them that we've seen personally. Um, things like addiction. Someone's addicted, maybe a child or your spouse, and you're working through the pain and the difficulty of addiction. And it's a tough, tough thing to deal with. 
a storm, maybe the loss of a child. I've seen so many marriages struggle so much with a loss of a child and they're like, I don't know if we can weather this storm. This one seems too big. The loss of a child, maybe infertility, and you just never ever imagined that this would be a part of your for better or worse. You never imagined that this would be your season that's difficult, but you're dealing with a season of infertility and it's really, really a difficult time for your marriage, but you gotta outlast the bad situations, the bad seasons. Yeah, a few more. Infidelity um, can be worked through. It can be. There are certain situations, like Mandy was talking about with her story, through godly counsel and, and working through things. Every situation is so unique, it's hard to just make these blanket statements. Mm-hmm. But infidelity can be worked through. It can be a storm you can outlast. Sickness, like what Mandy was mentioning, a diagnosis a rebellious child, financial problems. These are storms that we have seen in people's lives that have derailed marriages completely or brought them to the brink. But all of these storms can be weathered. You can make it through these storms and outlast these storms. You know, we think about, yeah, we can clap to that. When we think about the vows, Mandy mentioned wedding vows. These These are the vows that I use, the traditional vows when I perform weddings. And you know, some of all the hypotheticals when we first start, now many of us are living in the actuals, right? And I wanna, I wanna look at how heavy and how big this actually is. I blank, take you blank, to be my wedded wife or husband to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. According to God's holy ordinance, I pledge you my vow. When you look at that wording, sickness and in health, that can become very real very fast. For better, for worse, how broad the worse category can be. Man, many of us don't understand the depth of what we're saying and at the very last statement, according to God's holy ordinance, Mm -hmm. we're pledging our vow. I mean, we're pledging our vow according to God's holy perspective on marriage. And it's a commitment. And it's not something to be devalued, like society says. It's something to hold in the highest esteem And it's something to fight for if you're in it, to learn about before you get in it, and to commit to for a lifetime. But wait today, as we end, laying this foundation like we talked about, we wanted to end in the most practical sense possible. Um, We started small groups last week, but we actually met with our small group team and asked if we could start some of our marriage groups um, a week late. So we're about to launch um, some new groups this week with marriage. And I wanna be very careful with this. I know sometimes, I don't know why, but sometimes there's a stigma on marriage groups and there shouldn't be at all. Going to a marriage small group is not the stigma of like, if we go to that, people are gonna think our marriage is falling apart. That is not the case at all. Uh, we view it almost like, like going to counseling. I don't go to counseling because my life's falling apart. I go to counseling so it doesn't. Right, And it's the same way with these groups. And there's an amazing, amazing course. We do alpha courses here at the church. They are some of the best courses you could possibly do. Alpha also has a marriage uh, branch of alpha courses, and that's what we're launching. We're launching three groups, and we're launching a pre-marriage group as well for those who are engaged or exploring marriage with someone that they're dating. And so we think it's very important for everyone to jump in to one of these alpha groups. I'm telling you, there needs to be a next step to this sermon. Don't leave and go to lunch and forget about it. Commit to a next step and watch your marriage flourish.